articles on Germany. Cynicism is popular, bike ride was easy, and August animation begins. But uh, posting it <laughs> can be a difficulty. Uh, Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022. I'm Steven Sersky. Hope you folks are doing well. And yes, I am uh, continuing on with the uh, live streams here. Uh, you can find that on YouTube. And uh, no, yep, if you're keeping track, if you're keeping score, I have not created a new channel for it just yet. I will get that done. Uh, I w the reason why is because I want to uh, uh, block together or chunk together the podcast and the audio blog into one channel, have a uh, separate channel for all my travel um, raw videos and stuff like that, and then possibly even a third channel in which I deal with more, um, what, what would you call it, creative sort of uh, stuff. But yeah, basically that's how I'm sort of divvying it all up uh, in my mind so far. And by the creative stuff, I mean like me, Maker Movie, uh, this August animation that I've started, uh, and uh, any of the other sort of whacked out ideas I come up with uh, for video stuff, more the creative sort of uh, filmmaking side of things. Uh, for those of you who are just joining along, this, uh, yeah, I am Steven Sersky and I, I live in Beijing, China. Uh, this is a, a daily audio digest I publish Monday to Friday. Uh, you can find the archives on my website, uh, stevensersky.com. That's where I uh, put everything. You can download the MP3s. Uh, this podcast is available on Spotify and Anchor.fm. Although I've just seen another podcast that I listen to on a regular basis get um, delisted from uh, Spotify. So I'm not sure. <laughs> Actually, that's one of the reasons why I don't uh, pause, uh, push the Spotify link is because uh, I've seen a few people sort of get clipped by it. And I'm not, I don't want to be one of them. So I, I do offer the MP3s for download on my website. Now I've started uh, live streaming this as well uh, on YouTube. So if you want to join me every night, it's not a fixed night, uh, fixed time. I guess I should fix the time a little bit uh, properly. So if uh, people want to join in, uh, they can, but uh, yeah, I don't as, as, as it stands. Um, this articles on, Ger on Germany. So I actually, uh, I don't know if I actually covered this in the podcast, the interviews that I had with uh, Denny going so many, months ago but uh, I remember asking him what because uh, he, he does a lot of this sort of um, research a lot of reading about these sorts of things uh, history and sort of how um, some things can transpire if in certain historical circumstances and the one that I'm sort of thinking of is like the rise of uh, well Nazi Germany uh, throughout the 30s and leading into World War II like World War what happened between World War One and World War Two, and how did it sort of play out? Because a lot, so, I mean, with Ukraine and a lot of the Ukrainian soldiers being labeled Nazis, um, this is something that you know it does strike a chord. And I go, well, is this something that should be actually like considered uh, in any light, or is it a falsification and sort of a propaganda measure? And it, it honestly, it looks like it's more of a propaganda measure. Um, I mean, there are some nationalists, but there are, by the way of being a nationalist in Ukraine, is believing that the, the Ukrainian nation exists, that that is what uh, the Russian government is labeling as a nationalist, and associating that with the uh, rather derogatory term of um, previous 
political parties such as the Nazis in, in Germany. So the first article that I, uh, these are all published in Foreign Affairs, and uh, there's a series of them, there's five or six of them that range from like 1931 to 1940, and this gets me because like, it seems like the first, the first article that appears in Foreign Affairs was 1931, in which they talk, this person, I can't remember who it is, um, they, uh, oh, let me, I have it right here, one second, uh, the author is Eric Kochweiser, and it's April 1931, and it's called Radical Forces in Germany, and in this article, he talks about the different political parties in Germany at that time. Now, keep in mind, this is 1931, eight years before, like, the official start of uh, World War II, but in it, he talks about how, like, there was, even here in uh, Munich, November 1923, Nazi power, uh, in the picture, Nazi party members during the failed coup attempt uh, known as the Beer Hall Putsch. Uh, and uh, there's a picture of a bunch of Nazi soldiers in a, in a, a convoy heading towards, I, I'm not sure where they're going, uh, somewhere in Munich, of course. Uh, so this... That's 1923. So the party was around. It wasn't nothing. It wasn't anything new. And he talks about the different, like the political setup that was um, in play in Germany at that time, uh, and uh, how things were slowly being stripped away, not necessarily from the elites, but from the middle, the middle class, and specifically the middle range. Uh, of people, like even the upper portions, upper echelons of the lower, like where you sort of border on, like are you are you poor or are you rich or are you somewhere in between? You're not you're not rich, but you're not poor, sort of thing. And uh, he talks about how even they had started losing hope of making a better life. Uh, and it was even though that they're educated, that they were uh, they had skills that could be utilized. In Germany at that time, throughout the nineteen, like the late nineteen twenties and the nineteen thirties, uh, when the Nazi Party was gaining traction, uh, they were feeling a little bit—not not just feeling, but they were being left behind economically uh, and socially and everything. And so that's how um, the party seemed to have gained even more traction uh, with the the groups that they did. And this article. I'm going to have to reread it because it is a very powerful article in that it, it talks a lot about uh, the, the social and the economic sort of uh, circumstances that gave a push to the party as it is. And with all the talk, Ukraine, China, United States, of current European politics and blah, 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 do, do you see any lack of hope wherever you are? So I, and this also goes along with, I've been following this guy, Gary Vaynerchuk, who's like, you know, big on the um, pushing towards, you know, if, if you have a hobby, if you have a passion, um, if you have something that you think you can, that you're very much interested in, and you think there's a chance of making a business of it, go for it. This is the time right now, because the internet is there, the tools are there, the technology is there for you to take advantage of it. So, Tying this back into with this, uh, you know, early 1930s Germany uh, situation, I go, 
is there a lack of hope these days? And I, I, I mean, even looking here in China, I go, there's no lack of hope. There, people here still have a hope. Uh, there's still opportunities to explore. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago uh, on a, a couple of podcasts. And so there is that avenue. There is very much um, a place where people can move ahead, where people can gain not just for now, but for later, and not just for themselves, but also for their families. Yes, I've talked about Beijing being very expensive. China can be expensive in portions, but every capital city around the world is horribly expensive. I mean, I remember complaining about Perth and almost getting punched in the face because a guy from Perth was like, how dare you call Perth so expensive? I'm like, well, but it is. It's really expensive. That being the case, I mean, there's still hope. Like in Perth, you can get jobs in the mines and everywhere, right? Now, that was a decade ago or so, but uh, uh, again, like where, wherever you are situated right now, do you see a lack of hope or do you see hope in something becoming better or something that you're able to work towards? And I guess the, the question is, of course, like when do you sort of call it? When do you end that hope? When does it become hopeless to pursue this even with all the motivational youtube videos that you could possibly muster you know uh jordan peterson joe rogan gary vinerchik um you know even if you go the tony robbins you go that route i mean when you stop looking at that stuff that stuff and go that's it I, i throw in the towel is it there i don't think we are i don't think we are at that point of hopelessness which means we are not in a depression which means that even all this talk of a recession i don't know um, I think, I say that this time is different. It's not even so much different as that it's much more dynamic. There are so many more ways for us to take advantage of uh, the opportunities presented to us. Now, I speak as an English teacher in Beijing, China. Uh, I'm fully aware of my situation here. And is it the same for other people around the world? This is what I'd like to know. I mean, where are people feeling the pinch like actually feeling the pinch this invasion of ukraine by russia has put this into the spotlight because of the grain situation the food situation is it going to start creating issues or knock-on effects wherein we see discontent malcontent around the world very good question of all things i'll tell you even amongst the expat community. And this is, I, you think you'd leave this stuff behind when you travel overseas, but you just hear another, another version of it. Oh, the, the government does this and such and such. Often from Americans, sometimes from British folks. Canadians are just as bad. I mean, mostly it's a developed nation sort of opinion or viewpoint, but the cynicism of the government, like the, go, like the government is always wrong. But yet all these people who criticize their governments, none of them have rejected their passports. You can do this. It costs $500 to reject the, Can- uh, the American passport. The, the Canadian passport, is it a couple hundred? I can't remember. It's a process. It takes a long time. You can't just walk in and do it. You can chew up your passport and all you're doing is damaging technically federal property. Uh, and they can, I guess they can do something against you. I'm not entirely sure what they would do, but... Um, of all the criticism, they live overseas, they won't reject their citizenship, they won't reject their passports, because let's face it, what other passport would they travel on? What other passport could they get? This, 
this struck me because I saw a few comments uh, through WeChat, uh, a few posts, people being very critical of uh, Western-style uh, systems, and I go, you know, the I don't again. I've, I've said before, the system isn't in in danger. I don't think, uh, at least not not that I can see. What do you see? Do you see the Western system in danger, the democratic, capitalistic, or do you see it another way? Because those two words I throw out there, but I mean that's just very common. That's I would almost say it's a, it's a cop out to call it those things, democratic and capitalist. I mean that's that's a, we would say it's a given. But would you see it some some other way? Do you see it differently? How do you see it? Is the cynicism warranted? Or is it misplaced? Yeah. And let's put it this way. Would you reject your citizenship? Would you reject your passport? I don't know if I'd do that with a Canadian passport. Oof. It would. I mean, dual citizenship somewhere? Maybe. But rejecting a Canadian passport? Ugh. I mean, uh, that, that would take a... That would be a big push, I'll tell you. Anyway, moving on bike ride was actually pretty easy today uh got up and i'm trying a new thing don't hit snooze twice on the alarm <laughs> which is easier said than done but i did sleep so well last night uh thankfully and i thankfully i was able to um but uh, yeah the alarm went off at 5 50 i was gonna i pressed it again at six o'clock so that's once and then by 608 i'm like okay if you're not going to press it then but you don't want to get out of bed then you have to do something else so i did my chinese vocab like literally got my phone and blurry eyed i was like pressing buttons uh i'm not I, I've, I've said to people you know you should do this you should just do your vocab make it muscle memory in the morning just go through it and I'm sitting there this morning going through it as, again, just just getting it done. Now, is it going to stick? <laughs> Good question. I'd like to say that the reason I would push for that sort of methodology of study is because by the time you get up and you go do your, your workout or whatever and you get to work, you've already done two or three things, right? Like that's sort of the push, the productive push that I like to see in my day is that by 8 o'clock, by 9 o'clock, I've done three four things already on my normal schedule like it's it's a routine i want to get this stuff done i don't want to be thinking of it like oh wow you know i really should have done my vocab oh, you know i could have got up on that first snooze alarm oh, you know i really could have gone 10 miles on the bike ride i don't want to think that i want to get it done and that way i'll be able to look because uh, I, I keep track of my my uh, workouts on this uh, this app um, the Anki droid blocks me out from doing that same flashcard set again. So that way it's a little check mark. Uh, and the fact that I got it all done before work means that I was actually able to get up, get up and get going. So things like that where it's like, you know, it'd be, it's great to have those two or three check marks in the morning, not to mention making coffee. So uh, bike ride was actually pretty easy today, 10 miles. I uh, got that in just under an hour. Um, didn't want to do the run after work. But uh, did it anyway, put the shoes on, and I don't know, maybe the GPS was wrong or something, but uh, I seem to, I, I ran it in under 20 minutes, which now pushes my mileage to uh, nine and a half minutes per mile on average. So uh, not bad. Um, I'm surprised. Is it because I didn't run this morning and so I wasn't lethargic? 
Uh, was it because I didn't work out? Um, is cycling, is it cross training, that sort of style of, you know, where you, you cycle instead, so you're working a different muscle group and giving your other muscles a, uh, a rest? I know at the end of the run, I was sort of feeling my hamstring. I was going, eesh, I better not push this because I don't want it to pull or cramp or it's not going to snap. I don't think it will. Uh, but, uh, you know, along those lines, I want to be able to get up tomorrow morning and get back at it sort of thing. I don't want to be nursing an injury. Uh, so there's, I feel no need to sort of push myself through any potential injuries. And I hope you don't either. <laughs> um, August animation. So I had, I, I have started this and I was thinking of this because the, I, I got a rough, two rough sketches done yesterday. And I'm looking at this going, do I force myself to do it every day? Uh, as in like, do I publish something every day or do I work on it every day with the idea that maybe at the end of the week, I spend some time polishing these things up. And I kind of like that idea a little bit better because then it gives me more time to just focus on creating something every day and then worrying about uploading and stuff like that uh, later on. Specifically, there's actually two things I want to work on this month. Uh, when I'm talking about working on animation. Number one, I want to get away from the computer. So I don't want to sit down on my MacBook and play around with uh, Apple uh, Motion or April like uh, or uh, After Effects, Adobe After Effects or anything. No. I want to do physical. I want to do real things. like So it's stop motion, claymation. Um, I will allow myself to work with an iPad and do cell-by-cell animation. That's one thing I'll let myself do, which I think is... Uh, I was working on that last night. Um, but again, I really do want st- to... St- I want to step away and start playing around with a lot more uh, physical animation. I think it'd be a little bit more interesting and would push the boundaries just a little bit more, even though it's a, it's very time-consuming. I'm not going to lie. Uh, new Sliv videos up. Uh, my language acquisition vlog uh, posted only one video today. I had three questions for viewers. And number one, what language learning troubles are you having or have you had? Uh, is technology making your life easier or harder when it comes to uh, studying your language? Number three, uh, what has what was some of the best advice that you've received in terms of learning a language? And uh, I left that open for uh, people to... Uh, respond in the comments. We'll see how it goes. I found that the spike in views actually happens, um, you know, when I go to bed sort of thing. So it's like Western time, North America time that uh, people seem to see the the, uh, the videos that I post. These are all shorts. I've been posting a lot of YouTube shorts lately. It's a lot nice and easy. Uh, I'll tell you, it's easier for me to think in one minute chunks than, than for me to think in like five minute video blocks or 15 minute presentations. Uh, and this goes the same for Chinese. Like the reason I've been focusing on publishing a lot of the English stuff is that actually a lot of the English videos that I'm posting deal a lot with just stuff that I, I've been talking about for years. I used to tell my students a lot, like in class and in the larger classes uh, that I hear students, er- the errors that they're making now or the misconceptions that they have about um, certain aspects of learning a language or ESL, even standardized testing, like uh, some of the issues that they might have with like IELTS or TOEFL uh, and uh, like the GREs. GRE, I don't really know so well. So, I mean, I can't speak to too much, but some of the other ESL specific uh, tests, I mean, it's a little bit easier to sort of understand uh, what the misconception is and what the reality is. So, the, the, again, that is all on YouTube. Um, I have not set up a separate uh, link or website for that just yet. 
thinking about it, thinking about how else I can sort of spin it off away from my uh, main site only because I'm like, you know what, it'd be kind of nice to have a bit of separation from there. Like it's like teacher Steve and like travel other Steve. <laughs> if, you, if you're going to give me that, that leeway, that allowance, uh, wherein I can have that sort of um, difference between like the travel Steve and, you know, talking about early Germany and then also being teacher Steve, which let's face it, teacher Steve and ESL and language teaching uh, supersedes and uh, a lot of the other stuff. I mean, I don't think people are going to stop learning English anytime soon. I think there's going to be a need for education. And I think uh, going forward into the future, even despite like AI and robotic advancements and all that other stuff. Um, and not only that, I, I do see there is a need not necessarily for English teachers, but for methodologies in which people can easily or let's say efficiently and effectively teach themselves or improve their own abilities, their own language abilities on their own. That is what I see myself working towards, is building up uh, a, a series of whatever that is to help people learn a language themselves. And I, I derive this from my own push to learn Mandarin Chinese on my own, because I'll tell you, I've gone through a lot of teachers before, uh, and I've mentioned in a few videos before, use your teacher, your teacher as a mini test, uh, mini test date. I think that's the best way to uh, utilize uh, dealing with paying someone to listen to your terrible language, to push you through those times. That's what it has to be done. So that, that's what I'd be looking for is like self-study materials, uh, self-study abilities, uh, motivation and uh, abilities, like helping that sort of foster that sort of independence, independent spirit to uh, tackle languages on your own. Last thought. Do you think you could replace your current income with something online. And yes, this does follow the ESL yik-yak that I just gave here, but this also comes from Gary Vaynerchuk, who talks a lot about this. He's like, it's very easy for someone to make $60,000 a year these days. And I go, that's easy for you to say, you do it, you've done it already, or you've done it, you're doing it, and you've done it several times. I'm going, I've never done that before. Good question. Could you do it? So I put the question out to you. Do you think, whatever your current income is, do you think you could replace that income by doing something online that you created? Very good question. I'll leave it there uh, today, folks. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Show notes, tracks, and vids up on my website, stephensersky.com. Hope your uh, Tuesday is going well. Stay hydrated. I know it's hot in Beijing, hot and humid, but we'll get through it. Drink your water, ice cubes, and everything. Hope you have a good one. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. Bye-bye.